Today's episode of the Get Home Safe podcast contains explicit language that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. It's time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is Wednesday, January 27th, 2021. Thank you so much for joining us today for another great episode. And of course, another conversation with my good friend, Bill Barnes on the weekly Wednesday weigh-in. The retired police officer and retired college baseball umpire is here every single Wednesday, and we would not have it any other way. Had a great conversation with Bill on Monday morning, right after I recorded the Monday uh, sports recap show that we put out on Mondays. And uh, it was a fun time with Bill. I got to record in person, actually. I said, you know what? We've done Zoom long enough. Let's do another in-person interview. So I said, Bill, I'm coming to your place, man. Get get, uh, get the coffee ready. So I went up there. And wouldn't you know what? I forgot my power uh, cord for my laptop. I was furious, but I was like, hey, it's just an obstacle. Got to drive home. Go all the way back. Come all the way back up to Bill's. And uh, we, got the, we got the conversation in uh, before I had to rush off to work. So a uh, little hiccups along the way, but you guys are used to that. If you listen to this program, there's been plenty the past few months. And uh, uh, some changes to the podcast that I, I think will be uh, probably a good thing. Um, we are going to make just a small minor change. Um, on Fridays, we've been doing a segment called Suds with Studs, where we talk about a hero, a police officer, a, a veteran, a lot of Medal of Honor winners, just five, ten minutes of talking about someone, right? Um, it it it's, a, it's an honor to do it. I love doing it. We're going to continue to do it. But we are going to move that segment to Mondays. I think it's a better fit with our sports recap show, then kind of cutting into the long form interviews we do with uh, the featured guests of the week. And uh, those interviews sometimes with, with the guests go a long time. And so I don't want to add another you know, five or 10 minutes. I know for a lot of you, podcasts are great because they're only an hour, hour and a half, right? As we start to kind of approach that two hour mark, I know it becomes a little more difficult to listen to some of these. So I like to try to keep it around an hour and a half if possible. So we are going to move the Suds with Studs segment to Mondays. Uh, kind of right before we do a breakdown of the sports from the weekend or from the week, even uh, sports is kind of the main subject on Mondays. Cause you know, who doesn't want to talk about sports? It's a great way to get the week started. And usually I'm joined by my brother, Sam Hersema. Uh, the past few weeks I haven't been, it's just been me. And I said, you know what, instead of me talking about sports and my theories for an hour, why don't we do a suds with studs where we can honor some heroes and get the week started off. Right. You know, thinking about other people and sacrifice and maybe that'll motivate us to have a better uh, week and a better attitude in, in moving forward. So I thought it was, I thought, I think it's a good change and uh, we'll, we'll see what we can do. Uh, if, if anybody has any suggestions again about some of these heroes, about some of the people that 
uh, you know, we would love to honor and suds with studs. We call it that because these are people we would love to sit down and have a beer with, uh, and not just by the first round, but every single round. And it's not uh, always people that are alive, but it's people that, uh, we want to remember and talk about. So we're going to move that segment to Mondays. I think it's a better fit. Uh, and, uh, you know, and moving forward, it should be, uh, a lot of fun. Uh, okay. I want to ask you guys a question. You know, I f- have found that honesty is very important. We learn that from a young age, right? Your parents teach you, uh, hey, uh, what happened? And if you lie, you learn right away what a lie is. You, you learn at a young age the difference between truth and lying. Between And then as you grow a little bit older, maybe in your teenage years, you learn, uh, okay, partial truths. You learn how to manipulate truth a little bit, maybe bend the truth a little bit. It's not a flat out lie, but you know, for all of us who grew up as teenagers and even into our college years, you learn as just becoming an adult that not everything is black and white. You can kind of color outside the lines a little bit, makes things a little gray, right? Regarding the truth. And and I want to ask you guys, I mean, have you ever, let's say for instance, dating, you've, you've tried to date somebody or ask someone out, or maybe you've been out on a few dates with them and, and you think things are going well, but, uh, they're, they're, they're not sure what to say to you, or maybe you've even been the person doing that, doing the saying and saying, Hey, you know what? And you give kind of a, not either give, or again, you're on the other end of this and you're hearing it. You hear an answer that is kind of vague of someone who's not really interested. And, you know, something along the lines of, Hey, I, I, I'm not really interested in a relationship right now, or, Hey, maybe you, maybe we just don't click, whatever, whatever the reason may be. But then a little while down the road, you know, maybe they told you you weren't their type or whatever, but then that person ends up dating a person that is like, just like you. And you're like, wait a minute, I thought I wasn't their type. And that person's like exactly the same. Okay. That's just an example. Uh, it could have been, I'm not ready for a relationship right now. And then, you know, you get that one. I'm sure we've all gotten that one. And then a month later, the person's in a relationship and it's like, wow, right now is, is you meant like the second, like a month is still right now, right? You, you hear these things that, okay. And you have to accept at some point, okay, maybe the person, they just, they didn't know how to say they weren't interested or they had another agenda or whatever. Okay. That's just part of life in the partial truth world. Well, I'm bringing this up because, you know, I find it, uh, incredible. I'll say it. It's, it's incredibly evil. It's evil. What some of the leaders in our country are doing or have done. We are seeing states that have been run by Democrats and, and have, have Republicans been in the wrong at times too? Yeah. Yeah, they have. But, but I want to focus on a couple items here. Uh, states like Michigan, New York, and wouldn't you know it, even the golden state of California, they have had some of the strictest lockdown policies, no indoor eating, outdoor eating only California. You can't even do that. Um, all of these dictator, dict- dictatorial, I didn't know if that's a word. Um, just absolute um, restriction, no freedom in, in these states. And for so long, for so many months, it's been 
When are you going to open? When are you going to open? Other states are open. Other states more populated are open. Other states have gone through this, this, these COVID uh, uh, obstacles. They've, they've fought through it. They've, you know, this, these lockdowns, this, this locking everyone in their home and telling people to stay home and not have a business, not, not operate a business. Uh, it's not working. And it was odd that some of these states, they didn't really have a good reason not to, but they just kind of held on. They're like, well, it's not safe yet. It's not safe yet. And then wouldn't you know it? There, there's a new president inaugurated and all of the sudden, magically, now things can open up. I knew this would happen. I knew that governors and, and mayors, and they, they, they were holding on because they hated Donald Trump. They said, we're not opening up. We can't have normal. We want anarchy. We need restriction, restriction, restriction. And I said, as soon as Joe Biden is uh, you know, uh, sworn in as president, things will change. I had no idea that it would be so quickly. They're not even hiding what their agenda was. They're not even hiding it. They are being dishonest. They have been dishonest. The fact that Joe Biden, you can't tell me that the, the timing of all this is just a coincidence. Oh, it just well, it happens to be safe now. Where California, you can now get your haircut. You can now, okay, we'll, we'll open up restaurants, outdoor dining only. You can't tell me that it's just a coincidence. And if you really look deep into this, that tells me that if that was truly their motive, they were just holding on until Donald Trump was no longer president for whatever reason, then what they did was truly evil because they ruined lives. They ruined people's ability to work and make money and feed their children and feed their families and, and just pay their rent, pay their mortgage. They ruined people's lives because of their petty beliefs, their uh they they're wanting things to only be open when there's a Democrat president. That's pretty sick to me. And, and then at the same time, preaching to us that it's about safety. It's about the data. It, it's, it was never about any of that. It was about, controlling people's lives. And now when Joe Biden is elected president and inaugurated president, now to give the perception that life is better and now it's okay. Chicago, for God's sakes, uh, in Illinois, that opening up when they've been under some of the strictest lockdown and and that uh, Lloyd Lightfoot, that, that lack of a leader that they have over there. I mean- Basically, Joe Biden's elected president and she goes on record to, oh, yeah, you know what? The lockdowns, are, they're not really working. Why didn't you say that in November or October? What, 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 don't tell me it's a coincidence. All of this thing has been planned out, in my opinion. You look at people with the, the uh, states with the strictest lockdowns compared to other states who've been open for months. And you can't tell me it's a coincidence. I don't care if you're a Democrat, Republican, you're a liberal, you're conservative. You don't care about any of this stuff. You just want to live your life, which ironically is what most people want to do. You can't sit there and tell me that this isn't a coincidence, that all of a sudden, and I'm shocked <laughs> that it would took, I thought, okay, I bet you by February, March, uh, some of these blue states will be like, hey guys, it's time to open up. They didn't even, they didn't want to wait that long. 
because they 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 have power now and they're just like no do it right now open it up right now what are the odds what are the odds in that that as soon as a new president is sworn in, that now it's safe now things are okay problem solved problem solved and you know the the, the deep irony really of Another thing, you know, I heard some things about the teachers unions and how some of them are striking and boycotting and they just they just refuse to go to work, um, which is crazy because they're refusing to work and saying how deadly and, uns- and unsafe it is. Meanwhile, they're continuing to get paid. Think of the irony and the, the difference in that versus all the small business owners, restaurant owner, uh, small business owners, uh, restaurant owners, bar owners, anything, haircuts, anything, all the small business owners that are that have been begging begging to get back to work. Let us operate. We'll do anything. They've been begging and have been turned away. Turned away and going out. Sorry. Your, your, your name isn't Walmart. Your name isn't Target or Amazon. Sorry. Can't do anything for you. You're not a fast food chain. Can't, you can't, you can't operate. You're a, uh, (laughs) What, what I mean, some of these restaurants can't do to-go orders. Anyway, that's a whole other subject. But my point is, it's just the irony. And some of the, these, I don't know much about the teachers' unions, but everything I hear about them, uh, they, they their refusal to work and, and saying how unsafe it is, I really wonder if they would have these same beliefs if they weren't getting paid. Paid the percentage that they're getting anyway. I mean, the the irony is just crazy if you really think about it and break it down. You got people starving to work, begging to work. They want to work. Please let me work. Nope, can't do it. And you got another group of people getting paid that is refusing to go back to work. How? Don't get me started. Anyway, uh, it's wild, man. And and having been, I've said it many times, being back in the workforce these past few months, I've been incredibly blessed. There's been some hard days, uh, but you know what? I am so fortunate and and count my blessings every day that I'm able to get up and go somewhere to work because I know so many people are still hurting and not able to, uh, to, do, to do the things they've been trained to do their entire life, have to look elsewhere for income and just to operate. And for the people that have lost uh, all their money and, and uh, their life savings, I mean, ugh, it's so, so horrible. Anyway, Timing is everything, right, guys? And I just can't believe the timing of some of these blue states opening. I mean, what, less than a week after Joe Biden is inaugurated as president? What are the chances? It's just, it's remarkable. It's just remarkable stuff. Okay, enough of me rambling. Uh, I got to tell you today about uh, Bill Barnes, our conversation. You know, uh, the there's a Netflix docudrama, four-part series, is about 40 minutes per episode, it's about the Night Stalker. It's called Night Stalker. It's about the uh, the, the Knights, Richard Ramirez in the Night Stalker murders of 1985. I was less I was uh, less than a year old. My first year of life on this earth, this crazy time in the L.A. County and the surrounding uh, neighborhood communities. There was a crazy lunatic, uh, you know, stalking everyone's uh, lives and just ruining their lives. Great, great show. Um, I've seen other information about it before, other kind of miniseries and stuff, but this one was really well done. They talked to the detectives a lot in the, who were in the case. And Bill has actually met 
Uh, did he say one of them or both of them? I can't remember from our interview, but you know, you'll hear it in the interview. Uh, Bill's met these guys or one of them anyway. And I have a fun conversation with Bill, not just about that, um, uh, show on Netflix, but also kind of Bill's experience as a detective. We haven't really gone into that yet in our conversations with Bill Barnes on Wednesdays. And so he tells uh, some pretty good stories, some really good insight on what it's like being a detective, pursuing clues, all these different things. I really think you guys will enjoy today's episode. You guys know who, who tune in every week, who Bill Barnes is, what he's about, uh, how he brings the energy. Uh, but his conversation today Again, about the Night Stalker series on, on Netflix and uh, talking about uh, working as a detective and kind of what that is like in, in some cases that not quite as he, – he had some cases and not quite as severe as the Night Stalker, but still some pretty serious, scary stuff that he, he, uh, he was uh, willing to, to talk about. So looking forward to you guys hearing this today. Uh, it's a little different than some of our usual Wednesday rants, we'll say. And if you haven't watched the the Night Stalker series yet on Netflix, maybe you want to hold off on the first 30 minutes or so of our conversation. Uh, we also talk about Hank Aaron, uh, his passing, and, and Bill's kind of uh, connections to not Hank Aaron himself, but maybe some of the people that were there on that uh, that night in Atlanta that uh, Hank Aaron became the home run king. So I'll stop talking and I'll let you guys listen to all of it fun conversation with my good friend bill barnes so i will uh, step aside and we will get right to that guys so uh, be sure to tune in at the end of our conversation with bill as i will tell you briefly about our guest on friday i think you guys will really like that as well anyway let me step aside so you guys can enjoy what you tuned in for today on wednesday of course to listen to the one and only bill barnes It's the middle of the week. It's Wednesday. That means it's time for Bill Barnes on the weekly Wednesday weigh-in. The retired police officer and retired college baseball umpire joins us every week for very strong opinions and very random thoughts. Once again, here is the one and only Bill Barnes. While I'm recording with Bill Barnes, once again, I am at his home for the first time in a long time. It is Monday morning. We're off to a good start already, but I'll fill you in about that later. Bill Barnes, thanks for having me back here again. Well, now that the stay-at-home orders have been lifted, you're, you're allowed to come out of the house and come to my house. We are six feet apart still, and um, adhering to um, all of the uh, wise men's orders. Yes, yes, exactly. And it's good to be back here again because I came over here about an hour ago and realized I forgot a cord. So I'm off to a great start, Bill. I had to go home and come back here again, but Hey, we'll do what we got to well, do. We need to have a checklist before you leave the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No kidding. Uh, well, well, Bill, a uh, lot to talk about. It's good to be here. As I said, we got the roaring fireplace. We, I mean, this is just uh, very cozy. Um, first off, let's some more bad news in the world of baseball and just uh, America. Uh, Hank Aaron passed away recently and, just uh, another – it's weird how base – we've lost all these Hall of Fame baseball players recently. I don't know what it is in the, uh, going on, but Hank Aaron, what are your thoughts on uh, you know his passing? Uh, well, very talented ball player. I mean, the guy, he came up in an era where you didn't have weights, you didn't have steroids, you didn't have anything but raw power and, and uh, quick wrists, which is what he had. And um, he was, had nothing but just – uh, raw power man smacked 755 home runs 
I remember being in ninth grade on a Monday night or Tuesday night. I can't, I think it was a Monday night and he had just tied the record the day or two before. And there was a home game in Atlanta, Hank Aaron with Daryl Evans on first base, who I have, I had met in the past. He was a manager Mm -hmm. in in the uh, golden league. Uh, was at first base, got on an error by, I think, Bill Russell, one of three errors made by Russell that night. Uh, <clears throat> and I, Al Downing threw a dick-eye fastball right down the plate, <laughs> down right down the middle, and Hank hit it out to left center. And the late Bill Buckner tried to jump the wall to get it. The late Jimmy Wynn was playing center field, converged on the ball. And lo and behold, a rookie pitcher by the name of Tom House a reliever for the Braves, caught the ball. Wow. Tommy House ran the ball all the way to home plate and presented it to him. And I had talked to House about this because Tommy was a was a man, was a pitching coach for USC. USC, yeah. He was also I did he did some work at, at Northridge. So I had talked to him a few times. Nice guy, never, never bitched or complained, just a decent pro that knew how to knew how to play, knew how to coach. And I asked him, I said, Well, what did what did Hank say to you when you brought the when you brought the ball to him he goes thanks kid he didn't even know he didn't even know me <laughs> he, he had no clue who I was you know back then he said that the man, the veterans stayed with veterans the rookies stayed with the rookies you know um you know Daryl Evans told me that that was the highlight of his career was wow. was and then of course Dusty was on deck <laughs> my old pal from Riverside I've never talked to Dusty about it but Dusty had told people that he grew up with Hank Aaron on, you know, in the baseball world. And Hank told him how to be a pro. Hank told him how to act like a pro, how to dress on, on, on road trips, how to be humble, how to be a decent human being. And, um, and that was the epitome of uh, what, what Hank Aaron was about. Um, you know, he, he was not flashy or he didn't flip bats or any of that bullshit. He just went out and played the game. And um, that's a, that's, I don't think there's any left that do that. No, no, he was a pro for sure. Uh, you know, pro on the field, pro off the field. And, you know, his legs, I, I did hear this, that if you took away all of his home runs, he still would have had 3,000 hits. Yes. That's remarkable. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, his his legacy too is what he had to go through, kind of coming uh, coming up through the league and everything, you know, the oppression at the time. It really, for me, it, it puts into a, a picture, a clearer picture like, he was someone who did go through some things. Now we got athletes making a ton of money who have all these mm-hmm. things available to them and, and stardom and this and that who want to talk about oppression. Sometimes it's like Hank Aaron was one was the person who went through a tough time. You know, the, the athletes of today he, have Hank no idea. actually went through it. Yeah. Whereas the, the, the stars of today, the LeBrons, they want to put themselves in it. Mm, that's a good way. To okay. Put it. Yeah. They, they insert themselves. Hank was in it. He had no choice and, and came out of it and was a better man for it. Even though probably a lot of things that happened to him were absolutely dead ass wrong. Hank took it like a man and never bitched about it. Never looked back. Never, never motherfucked anybody. He just was a pro. Yeah. He's a pro. You know? and, and another thing with that home run, I was, I was watching it the other night and I'm thinking to myself as a ninth grade freshman baseball player at North <laughs> high school, I'm watching this this home run, and I I never in a million years would have imagined a I would have ever 
met and talked to the people that were a part of that play. Let's <laughs> let's let's break it down. Aaron hits the home run. He he slapped Steve Garvey's hand at first. I've met Steve Garvey. He slapped Davey Lopes and Bill Russell at second base and shortstop. I've met them. Ron Say at third, met him. And then Daryl Evans, who the first to congratulate him. You know, mm-hmm. if Daryl walked in my house right now, he he would know who I I am. <laughs> um, and then Dusty. So never met Hank Aaron, obviously. I saw him very close up at the World Series in 2017. And he looked really bad then. He was hunched over. He looked he looked bad. Um, and again, you know, the, the uh, third base coach for the Dodgers that night was Tommy Lasorda, and I've seen him at, at a at a um, at a uh, uh, beer at a bar too. And uh, you know, we lost him this year. Yeah, Don Sutton was on that team. Mm. He didn't pitch that night, but he was there. Mm-hmm. And we lost Don about what a week ago. Yeah. Quite surprising. I did not know Don Sutton was in uh, bad health. No, no, it's very, very sad. And, and you know, Hank Aaron, eighty-six years young. You know, that's that's a good life. I mean, um, long time. And I got to ask you this: I know you have a connection somewhat to the to the Bonds family. Yes, and Barry Bonds. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, you know, he's mm-hmm. the home run. He broke mm-hmm. Hank Aaron's mm-hmm. record. I don't mm-hmm. fully accept it or acknowledge it but that's just me uh i mean what do you think on well like you said if 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 hank aaron hadn't hit any home runs he'd mm-hmm. still have three thousand hits yeah i firmly believe that if barry had not used some type of enhancing drugs like steroids <laughs> he would have been just as good as the, pl- the player that he was maybe not the home run total mm-hmm. and barry's pro- biggest problem that barry acts like an asshole Okay, yeah. back when he was playing, he was very, very rude and obnoxious to people. And unlike his dad, his dad, Bobby, was just a prince of a guy. Wow. Bobby Bobby would, would give you the shirt off his back as long as you gave him a beer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Bobby was great. Um, but Barry, you know, Barry was always nice to me because I took care of his, I think we've covered it on shows before. Yeah. I've taken care of his dad before. Mm-hmm. So Barry was always good to me. And, um, but if Barry would have treated the public like he treated me, he, he, he would have been loved. Now, if somebody came into this house right now and put a gun to my head and said, Bill, do you think Barry Bonds belongs in the Hall of Fame? I would say yes. Do you think Pete Rose belongs in the Hall of Fame? I would say yes. Do you think... Roger Clemens belongs in the Hall of Fame. I would say yes, because the way the rules were then, not so much with Pete Rose, but when, but the way the rules were then, did they cheat? Yes. Did they cheat? Did they do anything illegal to cheat back then? The rules weren't imposed in baseball where it was illegal to do that. Mm-hmm. They were they were playing within the rules, just like it wasn't against the rules to go lift weights. It wasn't against the rules in the seventies to take greenies and pump yourself up with, with, uh, you know, amphetamines and go out there and play like a lunatic. So with that said, um, I think he's a hall of famer. I really do. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's probably a topic for a a show some other time. And with Pete Rose, I think Pete, you know, his, okay. He, if he gambled, which we know he did, he never, I don't think he ever gambled to lose as a player. Now I've heard stories with him managing that it was a little dicey. 
Okay. <laughs> but as a player and his stats, you can't take those away. Yeah. He was a hard ass charger. Yeah. No, I, I, I hear you there. And there's definitely some debate we can have on, on those topics. I think the one thing with baseball and say, uh, drug use, for instance, whether it be steroids or amphetamines or, you know, even just any, you, you, you've heard of the different substances that have been in clubhouses. I think baseball, it's not as physical a sport as football, for instance, but the fact that you play every day mm-hmm. and your body recovering, I think that's almost why you see more of that stuff in base, at least back then you did, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. Baseball and uh, substance abuse. There's a, there's a whole nother show. Well, uh, Bill, I did manage to watch the night stalker, uh, documentary, the four part series on Netflix. Uh, it was fantastic. I had heard the story. Valor had no idea about it, any of it. And, um, I thought it was really well done, kind of a in the shadows reenactment type of thing with the mm-hmm. format. So anybody listening, if if you don't want to hear uh, any any spoiler alerts, then uh, tune out for the next ten minutes or, or whatever. But Bill and I are going to talk some Night Stalker. Uh, Bill, you've you've actually met one of the detectives before, Frank Salerno. Uh, you know the the lead lead detective on on that case, as well as the Hillside Strangler case from the late seventies. Uh, I met him on two occasions. The first time was uh, he was an instructor at a uh, training uh, seminar I went to in San Jose back in 1992, I believe, a homicide investigation uh, class. Very nice guy, very down to earth. The way you see him on the show is the way he is in in, in real life. I've also seen him in in a social setting. He is a a brother-in-law of a former coworker of mine. And he likes he'll he'll uh, he'll let the well he doesn't have any hair anymore but he'll he'll let it all out a little bit and he's a fun guy to hang with he has lots of great stories um he is very very smart he can pick up on something really quick he can tell uh really quick whether you know uh you're a straight shooter or you're full of shit and um you know that's that's the he has the, the instincts that he has are, are just uncanny and it showed in that case. Mm-hmm. What well, well, was interesting to me is like they showed him on there, him talking about everything that was going on. He just, he remind like you look at him and you hear him talk for five seconds. You're like, that's a cop. I mean, he just has that cop, old school detective. Let me sit down, have a drink with you and tell you some stories type of demeanor. And it really uh, it came out that way in the show as well. Well, that comes from having a little bit of, of being born with a little bit of uh, that kind of uh, character and, and from spending many, many days in a courtroom sitting on a, on a, on a, in a, uh, <clears throat> sitting on the um, uh, night, uh, nightstand. <laughs> nightstand. Night stalker, nightstand. Sitting, sitting, sitting on a, um, sitting in the witness stand and, and being clear, concise and very, very business-like in your uh, approach and there is a there's that rhythm you have in presenting your case the rhythm and you you have in talking and just administering putting putting everything in order and having some knowledge behind it but not being too technical where someone can understand at the layman's term to where a jury can understand where you're coming from and you're not some some uh rigid uh robot 
Mm-hmm. No, and what was impressive to me was the detective work, the the details, the just the level of pursuit these guys did with some countless hours of staying up late and just looking for any detail they could find. Um, is, is that kind of common in big cases like that where you are just looking and and go, going over things over and over again just to find any crumb you can? Yes, yes. This was a serial murder, obviously. And in a serial murder case, you're obviously going to have a lot of uh, the same kind of facts, same kind of evidence, same kind in this case, shoe prints, footprints, same type of weapon used. The the problem in recognizing these, and it kind of showed, it was very well illustrated in the program, is that um, the LA Sheriff's Department had three or four, and then LAPD had had a couple. Mm-hmm. And, and then you, it's very common. Departments, detectives don't communicate. I, there could be there could be a, a, a serial murder next door to me right here in Rancho Cucamonga and Fontana PD could have the same type two days from now and Rancho Cucamonga Sheriff and Fontana PD will not communicate. They're not going to know what the, in the, in this case, what the right hand and the left hand are doing. Is it an ego thing or is it just uh, Hey, we're not telling you what we're doing. It's not an ego thing. It's more of a logistical thing where, People don't think to, I wonder if that's connected and call them and get info, you know, but, but in this case, in the night stalker, it was evident about halfway through that, okay, we have a serial, serial murder here and we're going to put a task force together, which meant, uh, you know, Montebello, Monterey park, the, the, the cities in which these murders were, these murders occurred, they sent personnel to man this task force. Therefore, all kinds of clues and, and witness accounts were being shared. What was interesting to me is, so you have, and the, the, the scariest thing about the Night Stalker is how random he was. He was all over different neighborhoods. It was, he killed people, all kinds of different people. There was no, no real connection. Like, so when, he, well, the only, yeah, you're right. I mean, his, his motive, his, his randomness, his, the randomness, the locations, they were kind of along the 60 and, and, and 10 and 210 corridor. Mm-hmm. They were in the, in the San Gabriel Valley area. That's about it. it unless, and, but then he had the one in, in uh, Mission Viejo and then he went up to the Bay area and did some things. There's probably more out there. Yeah. Oh yeah. That were just never uh, identified. Well, that's what, so what was interesting to me is, is the murder occurs in this, in whatever city. And so you have local law enforcement for that city there. And then all of a sudden, uh, Gil and um, Frank Frank come from, from uh, whatever station they were at. So they're not the, the local law enforcement, but because they were the task force involved in a similar murder, that's kind of why they took over these and, situations. No, and luckily, like cities like, uh, let's see, I think Glendora, Azusa, uh, Duarte, they all had police departments, but anything major back in those days, this is 1985, a major murder or anything like that, the sheriff's department would come in and handle. Oh, okay. So they were lucky in a sense that oh, they were be. able to to handle it within their homicide jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. Now, getting back to the, the, the randomness of this, mm-hmm. I equate it to this, okay? Mm-hmm. A serial murder in, in a situation like this, when it, when it involves sexual assaults and complete, you know, uh, Satanism, et cetera, there is that sexual charge that the suspect gets. 
in, in many cases, he went in and he would, he murdered people. And because he wasn't able to fulfill the sexual part of it, he then went on the same night mm -hmm. and conducted the sexual part of it. That to me is the same type of situation where, you know, a sexual deviant or any, you know, where they don't get what they, what they wanted in one place. Mm -hmm. They made sure they got it before their night was over. It's kind of like a guy to a lesser degree, a much lesser degree. It's kind of like a guy who, you know, decides to go out and, and get a, you know, go to a massage parlor and get a rub and tug. Okay. He goes out he gets the massage, but guess what? This certain place, they don't do that. It's, it's, you know, massage only. So he gets pissed off. He leaves, he goes four blocks away. He goes to a place where he knows he's going to get his rub, his rub and tug. And he completes the deal. It's in your mind. It's you, when you go out, you set, you set out that day to get serviced. Just like this murderer, this crazy Richard Ramirez set out that night, he had a plan and he couldn't, you know, fulfill his plan in one location. So he went on and made sure he fulfilled it at another location. He had gone, he probably went out during the day, scoped out these places, scouted them out, did, you know, heavy surveillance to know that these were single women living alone. Uh, in the case in, I believe it was Duarte, the two ladies living alone. Mm -hmm. Uh, etc. So these these were planned out, um, scouted out, and he had a plan. The 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 survivor stories, hearing the survivors of these attacks, especially the little girl. I mean, those were like heartbreaking uh, accounts from them, knowing like, oh my goodness, they they saw this person. Well, I'm sorry, I shouldn't call him a person because uh, he's not, but they saw that Richard Ramirez and. And giving their account of that experience, it was just like, I had never heard anything like that. Uh, you know, the assault that they went through to watch their friends or family be killed. I mean, it was just heart wrenching. I mean, really powerful stuff. Yes. I mean, I'm surprised that the, the six year old from Montebello, yeah. a guy I work with where I work at, he was the officer that night that took the report from her. Oh and he remembers to this day that she was very, very sharp and very, it was like this girl had some, she was yet her emotions were, were rock hard. And then when he saw her, you know, 35 years later, you know, and she had the same account, he, he was in, incredible. He, he, and he became part of that task force later on. Mm. And, um, <clears throat> he, um, we both said, how, how's this woman, you know, how was she able to, you know, grow up, be normal, have a family, you know, after being, you know, just tormented like that. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. You know, sad stuff. And, uh, so many victims. I mean, the, what was killing me is the, 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 how old some of these victims were. They were old, they were young, um, him having his way with people, him being comfortable in some of these situations where he'd kill these people. And then he'd just sit in their kitchen and eat food or whatever. He too. got off, he got off on the fear aspect. Yeah. He yeah. loved to put people in fear and the I mean, to me, there's no better victim of that than it would be an elderly female mm -hmm. who feels completely, completely helpless. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously you're going to put a lot of fear into a person like that. Whereas the, uh, uh, I believe the, one of the first victims, the one he shot and then elected not to shoot her again, he just ran. I mean, she goes, look, you've already shot me once. You're going to shoot me again. Go ahead. She was pretty matter of fact about it. Yeah. And I believe her name was Maria Martinez, I mm -hmm. believe. And, you know, I mean, it, 
it's uh, it's amazing. There's the like you say the wide. He had no. I mean, at first I'm thinking, okay, he's targeting dark skinned either Hispanic or Asian women. Mm-hmm. Okay, but then he would go and he, you know, he, you know, there were there were blondes in the mix. There was, you know, from here, you know, it was all over the place. And I'll tell you what, back then, you know, I was a young patrol cop in Riverside and we had a murder that was somewhat similar. And when that word got out on that, everybody was freaking. I mean, I remember going to calls and, you know, I was working day shift then and it was just, it was hotter than piss that whole (laughs) summer. And, you know, people were, you know, sweltering because they wouldn't, they wouldn't, they'd shut their windows because that was his MO. He'd go through and go through an unlocked window or an unlocked door of some type because of the heat in the summer. So people were actually, they were shutting. I mean, people were freaked out. Oh yeah. Freaked the fuck out. And I remember when we got the, we, for two or three days, we had a description of a tall, slender, Hispanic, long hair with, with wearing black. And I'll tell you what, if you were a tall, slender, Hispanic wearing black in the city of Riverside, there was a good chance that the cops were going to come and thump you up first and then check your teeth. If your teeth were good, you were on your way. <laughs> if you had shitty, rotten teeth, you were going to get held a little bit. I was surprised that wasn't really in the description from victims as much. Maybe it just because it was dark or whatever, but that that his teeth were in bad shape mm-hmm. when, in fact, that did become a clue and a mm-hmm. big part of evidence, that whole dentist office yes. visit. And which I'd like to find out who that sheriff's admin person was that decided to pull the the two undercovers. Yeah. The day before the guy walked in. Unbelievable. That guy should have his, he should be um, four pointed and, and, and uh, tar and feathered for that kind of decision, as well as the LAPD technician that came in to install the robbery alarm. And, and, you know, but I still can't understand why, okay, if the alarm's not working, maybe the dentist should have had his, his receptionist call. Yeah. Knowing, you know, who the guy was, right. You know who he was. Yeah. And I, and I guess they didn't have surveillance videos. I mean, every business does Mm -hmm. now, but yeah. Uh, yeah, that just being so close and then mm-hmm. not not finding them. And, and then, of course, our friends at Northeast Division and LAPD completely dropping the ball on <laughs> printing the vehicle. You know that, that. But again, that is common with interagencies relationships. I remember many times, like Corona PD would call us, "Hey, can you hold a car for print?" Go on. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we'd, you know, if it's not if it's not your case, it's almost like a resident. If 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 the trash isn't getting in your yard, you don't give a shit. Yeah. If your neighbor's trash, your neighbor's, you know, yard's full of trash, that's on them. You'd really don't care to help them. And that's the same thing it was in law enforcement. And I hope it's gotten better now. Yeah, I, I do too. Uh, and now, Bill, you, you did some work. You were a detective for a time, right? Yes. Okay. So tell me. As a detective, I, I don't think you ever had a case of this magnitude. I did. I had. Oh, I did. I had. I had a case. Uh, it was Mother's Day, two thousand one. Um, the day after it was a Monday, we got called to a, a dead body investigation inside a house. It was an eighty-three year old woman. Um, she was not there. There, there was no body. There was there was blood on the floor that had been uh cleaned up by bleach her car was missing completely 100 percent uh suspicious circumstances missing person however we knew that there was something more to it because some things were disturbed in the house her car was missing her purse was there the only thing missing 
was her car and her car keys and her. Um, so we knew there was going to be sooner or later, there would be a dead body attached to this investigation. Her name was Geraldine Myers. She was 83 years old. This was in 2001. Um, long painstaking investigation. We went, we had so many leads that were bullshit. I remember we went out, some guy, some knucklehead from, I think it was San Clemente sent a, sent a, uh, a note saying you can find her here out in Yucca Valley. So we went out to Yucca Valley and searched and searched, had bloodhounds, nothing, nothing. Then we make a long story short that this happened in May in about a month later, uh, about two blocks from where Geraldine lived, there was an elderly lady, 95, who was sodomized, raped and beaten, but she, she was able to survive. She called 911 and we again, again, solid, good footprints in a freshly raked uh, rose garden. We were able to get the some and one shoe prints, and one shoe oh, prints. And, okay, okay. Uh, some really good uh, uh, follow up investigation by some patrol officers that were there were able to, to preserve this print. There was a uh, parolee at large uh, in the, that lived in the neighborhood about four, her, whose mother lived in the neighborhood about four doors down. Some witnesses say that this guy oh, had wow. been staying there. So we got the parole officer out. We knocked at the door, went into the room where he was. And guess what? Guess who? Guess what I found? The Some 83. size 12 oh. and one shoes. Oh, really? And I almost, as a, how old was I then? A 42-year-old male, I almost defecated and urinated my pants when I found this. It was such, it was, it was like, hey, what are the odds? Yeah. Who the hell else around here? Is wearing a size 12 and one who else is a parolee who else has contacts for rape and is out on parole who is out of his residential jurisdiction. So we helped, we got this guy, Bailey Lamar Jackson was arrested and we interviewed him and interrogated him probably for about off and on for probably a, two or three days. He never invoked, never said anyone an attorney. He tried to bullshit his way out of it. We never I never wanted to take a, a uh, wrought iron bar to someone as bad as I wanted to to him mm. and just beat the fucking confession out of him. I wanted to so bad because I knew he did it. Uh, my partner knew he did it. Everybody knew he did it. And we came within an eyelash of getting him to confess. Um, I promised him everything but sex in his jail cell for the rest of his life for him to come forward and tell me that he did it. Um, all the evidence led to him, period. Now, we found the car uh, probably <clears throat> three days after the initial assault on Geraldine. Her car was found in Las Vegas. No prints. The kid who was driving it was in juvenile hall. We went out. We, we went to Vegas, interviewed him. It was, wow. it was He was a Vegas local, just happened to find the car and start driving it. He was not the murderer. We knew that right off. We took a polygraph, mm -hmm. wasn't him. So we were within, I think two days after we had gone to Vegas is when the lady over on uh, Lassen Court in Riverside was assaulted. And that was a, I could, there, there could be a movie or a book 
on that case. Oh, wow. Just for the ups and downs. Everybody thought the family did it. Everybody thought one of the three sons did it. And we, let me tell you something. The first night when we interviewed the one, the one son, we thought he's good for it. This might be him, mm-hmm. but it, it wasn't. Yeah. Like I said, the, uh, we thought one of the sons might've been good for it because, you know, she had a good little bank account. Well, the money was never messed with. We had a detective working her bank accounts and nothing, not no money had never changed hands. Um, and just a short synopsis of what happened. Um, we never to this day have looked, have found her body. Whoa. Never to this day. There was so much circum, um, circumstantial and physical evidence there that we were able to convict Bailey Lamar Jackson uh, of murder and rape of the uh, other lady. And he's serving it. He's on death row as we speak. Now, um, I have, as the case detective on that case, I have a, f- a front row seat to if and when he's ever given the horse needle. And trust me, I will be there. Wow. Now, under the current dictator Newsom regime, obviously the death penalty is on uh, on hiatus. But well, I- well, how could it not? I mean, come on, Bill. Uh, these sound like individuals that you know don't deserve to die. I know. And and if Gascon uh, George Gascon was a DA, he'd you know probably give him probation. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe some anger management courses. That's what pisses me off about. Well, Cal, a lot of things do, but hearing hearing stuff like that, hearing the animals that are on death row. And I mean, heck Bill, Richard Ramirez, how long was he on death row? He died in 2013. Yeah. He died 24 yeah, years. Yeah, He died. Well, Charles Manson. Well, they, they rescinded his, but still, I mean, here's a deal where, yeah, you had Richard. Yeah. He was 14 years. They convicted him in 89, right? 24 years. 24 years. Sure. And you know, he died of what uh, prostate cancer? What? Yeah, I did. Now, why? This is a separate subject, I guess. But we know kind of the current issue, the current uh, opinions of the death death row in California. What? Why is death row? Why is it so backed up? Is it like there's a log jam or something? No, what, because what, there's a lot of fucking appeals? asshole killers out there. There's a lot of a lot of fucking killers that deserve it. But you go to death row, and then why is it you not? Have, you have built-in appeals. You have twenty-four hour. If, if when you're on death row, you pretty much live a country club lifestyle. You have unlimited access to the law library at the prisons. You have un, un, uninhibited um, access to attorneys. You, you're you're under appeal, and people these 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 folks are fighting for you because they feel that that your punishment was either unjust or you were it was a wrong uh, mm-hmm. you know uh, mistaken identity in in the murder. So where, where do you stand? I think I know, but where do you stand on um, life imprisonment versus the death penalty? Should the death penalty be reserved for extremely violent people like the one you put away? I call them people again. Yes. Yes. And and here's the thing. My only, my only reservation on Bailey being given the needle would be there was, there was never an eyewitness. Okay. okay? No, but, but like with, uh, with oh my God, um, so many, that there were eyewitnesses to, and that, and that, that, you know, there was, it was, it was no doubt whatsoever. The person did it beyond reasonable. I mean, beyond, beyond, beyond reasonable doubt. 
Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. However, um, in some cases, let them rot for the rest of their lives. That's fine too. You think it's, it's worse. Mm-hmm. So you're telling me death row imprisonment is better than regular imprisonment? Yes. For the most part? Yes. If you're in general population as a murderer, mm-hmm. you know, you're living like, you're just living in a, in a, in a cell and, and, you know, um, having to do the same thing that a, that a, a career armed robber would be doing. Wow. Whereas if you're on death row, you are given a lot more um, amenities in yeah. the prison system. No, that makes sense. So um, when, when you've discovered these shoes, you saw, I mean, that had, you already talked about the inner feeling, but did it also come to you like, you had done all this training all these all these years about being a good detective and then clues like that just piecing them to, together for a puzzle and then discovering it that had to be just like you said you were you were through the mm-hmm. roof yeah yeah it was great when, and what you when you when you arrest someone and you know that you, that they're good for it your work has just begun you have mm-hmm. got to compile a case to where when you go in and start interviewing there's a difference between interviewing and interrogating. The inter- an interview is information obtained. The interrogation is using that information you obtained to to gain uh, the truth and to gain uh, them uh, admitting to the crime. Mm-hmm. So we went in and we had our ducks in line. He sat. I mean, he sat. You know, he sat for half a day in a in a. Uh, interview room while we got our, our, uh, our notes and our, our questions together. And then I remember going in and, you know, what you do is you obtain a truth telling style from this individual. You want to go in and ask them, Hey, how many brothers do you have? You want to, them to answer questions that they would not have any, they would have no reason to lie about. Okay. Such as where they were born. You know, did you play sports? Um, what's your mother and father's name? You know, things like that. Because you get the quick answers out of them. That, yeah. And you're like, okay, yeah. these and are you, truths. And you see the way they answer the questions. Do they shift their eyes? Do they become a little, you know, do they have a little tremor in their body? Things like that. And then you start answering the hard questions like, well, where were you between the hours of midnight and 3 a.m. last night? And then you see the, the shoulder jerk or the, you know, one would say I was sleeping without hesitation. Mm-hmm. But you see, you know, you see the difference in their, in their body language. And a little inside trader secret on eyes. If if you ask a direct question and the, if if it's deceptive, you will get eyes that will go down into the right or down into the left. Usually down into the right after the questions, and then they'll then they'll come back and direct eye to eye with you and tell you the lie. It's they they would look down like almost like into their little into their little lie bag and see what they're going to say. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. You, you could use that in uh, everyday life, I bet. Well, that's when I know if I go, hey, uh, when I ask a woman if she likes me, if, if I get an eye shift and, and she says <laughs> yes, I know that she probably doesn't. <laughs> oh, inside the mind of the great Bill Barnes. Well, well, back to the Night Stalker and, and so those detectives. I mean, they... And believe me, they oh, knew that. Those guys were so well-trained. Oh, so yeah. So well. I mean, I got to hand it to Gil Carrillo for coming up with... You know some of the theories he had that were completely unpopular, completely against what yeah. was a known, um, you know, situation back then where child molesters were not 
serial killers. No, it was two separate. Yeah. And for him to come up with the fact that they were one and the same was completely brilliant on Gil's part. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, so dark and everything, but he had to think outside the box because so, they were dealing with someone yeah. who was so thinking. Getting, getting back to your original question, how do you, you know, run your life when you're in a case like that? It runs you. Okay. That case runs you. That case went on from May of 2000, uh, 2001 to, my God, the middle of the next year in, in, in you know, getting witnesses, getting you know, lab results back and then the, the trial. So, but during the, the, the initial part of it, when you, when you have a suspect outstanding, you, you take, you don't like, like, um, I think, um, um, uh, not Carrillo, but the Salerno was able to, he said, when he drives home in the driveway, he shuts it down. Yeah. That was impossible for me. I can't imagine. I went to bed with it. I woke up with it. Um, you know, and what you had to under, you had to have a very supporting, you know, family that understood that when your pager went off, it was time to go. Yeah. You know, I remember, of- I remember a couple of times I was going to my kids little league game back in those days and my pager would go off and I'd have to leave, mm-hmm. you know, that's just the way it was. I didn't like it. But that's just the way it was. Duty called and you had to go. I remember going out to, you know, <clears throat> Yucca Valley chasing down stupid, ridiculous, uh, drawings, leads. And his team was in the playoffs and, and they were going to um, go on and possibly, you know, go to the next level. And I, I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So your, your family life pays the price and um, your body pays the well, price. Well, you're not sleeping much and, and the sleep you are getting you're, is not you have sleep. You have absolutely no routine. Yeah. None. Zero. Wow. And you're constantly eating, drink, drinking, sleeping that whole case until it's you know, resolved. Yeah. And, and like, it was interesting, like they get off of work and they'd, they'd go to a watering hole to uh, have one or two, as, as Frank said, and, and it was just to like, relax a little bit. Well, I like, and I like the part where the captain called him and said, where are you guys at? Well, we're over at so-and-so's. Okay. Stop drinking and get to the, and get, you know, so <laughs> yeah. that was, believe me, we didn't just have one or two. No, I, I laughed when I heard him say no, that. I was like, no, there were, I got to tell you, there were so many, there were so many nights that I would go home and I would fall asleep in my shirt and tie. I'd wake up the next morning and I'd have the same fucking shirt and tie on. And I go, why should I change? You know, <laughs> but you had to, cause you know. So that's a question. So it's not a, a really good quality of life for detectives, especially in, in LA. So how is it that some guys are able to do it for so long? It seems like an only like a five to 10 year type of job. Because it, it gets in your blood and you're used to running on that kind of adrenaline all the time. Mm. And you either are single or you've got a family you have a, you have in like in, I think in, uh, they didn't go, go into Frank's uh, family, but I think old Pearl was probably pretty good at raising the kids. Oh yeah. Letting, for, uh, letting, Carrillo, letting yeah. Uh, Gil uh, run amok and do his thing. <laughs> yeah. And um, you know, you've got to have that. You've got to have absolutely no hindrances in your life where it will stop you from doing your job and living it, eating and breathing it all the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. How long were you a detective? Uh, I was, well, I was a detective from 1995 to 2008. Okay. And what makes someone want to go from 
is it just a new adventure, a new challenge to go from it's, being it's, a it's police a, It's a rise, uh, you know, up on the on the food ladder. Okay, you know, I, I kind of my career kind of stalled a little bit because you know I what I always spoke my mind and sometimes my <laughs> sense of humor got me in trouble. So my career kind of stalled towards towards, but that but at the end of my career, I, I they gave me a little bump and then I retired. So um, there was no doubt in my mind that if I'd have stayed. I would have probably, I would have rose to a high rank only because a lot of the guys that were ri ri uh, rising to these high levels were friends of mine who I had as much dirt on them as they had on me. <laughs> so I'm sure, you know, they'd have, they'd have scratched my back because I had scratched theirs before. Oh, some things never change, man, from uh, looking back at that in the, the mid 80s to kind of how things are now. And then hearing your your cop stories is, is great. Uh, one thing that definitely has not changed is the is the media and the media coverage and and them interviewing some of the reporters who were covering the case at that time. And, and one uh, one individual stuck out uh, quite uh, painfully. Laurel Erickson uh, was one of the reporters. And what pissed me off, Bill, is that and maybe this is common, but she came to the cops and was basically going to report on some of their major leads that they were using to try to solve the case. So in my opinion, if you really break it down, uh, she was in favor basically of more people dying because she was going to spill evidence that the killer could use. She was in favor of making herself look good. Correct. And if making herself look good meant dis disclosing the, the shoe print evidence, that was going to happen. However, however, she was able to garner a, an exclusive inter interview with Salerno and, and Carrillo because, and they begged her not to disclose that. And it doesn't take a genius to figure out how she got that information. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, Connect the dots. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there was a, probably a detective that was working uh, some other division who knew of this, who had a, some type of uh, relationship with Miss Erickson and probably, you know, told her. How else would she get it? Well, and and this is this is and, that, that, and that's even what Salerno said. Yeah, and this is coming from you who've seen this firsthand. I'm sure in your line of work before. Um, I've never seen, I've never seen anybody firsthand give someone inside information um, that would hinder public safety. Mm -hmm. I've seen people give inside information that would. Um, get an idiotic chief out of office or snitch on somebody dirty within the department mm -hmm. that needs to go. I've seen that firsthand. Okay. Okay. But I have never seen where, um, a, a law enforcement detective ever gave information that would, that would jeopardize public safety. I just, the news media to me, I mean, some of the, she could say, oh, I was just trying to change. She wanted to see herself on TV more and, and be this. Well, she wanted, she wanted to get the Emmy for the uh, local Emmy for the, for the best reporting of that year, I guess. Yeah. I, I don't know. Never mind uh, the people that could end up dying by this guy changing his shoes because that well, like, 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 like what Diane Feinstein like, did. And then, uh, yeah, exactly. The, I, the mayor of San Francisco, uh, she releases information to, about, about the killer and I, I almost threw my remote at the television. I mean, she basically just said, I want more people to die. Mm -hmm. I, that, was, that was evil to me. That was so horrible. 
I mean, she's well, she's still in office. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, man, California, we sure know how to pick them. Let me tell you. Um, yeah. Yeah. What did she release? Not only the shoes, but there was something else. She's told the general public to something to look for mm-hmm. that Richard Ramirez could easily change. Cause right. he was watching the news, Right. his jacket, the, the dark jacket, the ACDC hat, the whole nine yards. Yeah. Said, okay, I just won't wear that anymore. I mean, and he didn't. No, changed. Yeah, they never found that shoe print again. And 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 the miraculous part of that is that spawned. I mean, I know that those guys were pissed, Mm -hmm. and and that caused Sheriff Sherman Block Gates, Daryl Gates, and Brad Gates, the sheriff of Orange County, to come in on like a Saturday night at midnight or eleven o'clock and do a special, or Friday night and do a special briefing, and just let it all out. And the next day is when they caught is when he was caught. Wow, oh, man. You know, because the public wanted that guy, they wanted him arrested. And he was such an easy, easy target because of how ghoulish he looked. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And, and, and luckily the guy, he was in Arizona and, and then came to, to, to LA at like noon the next day. And everybody was recognizing him because of the the uh, front page, the front page uh, uh, picture of him. It was interesting that he was terrorizing people, you know, by himself and the the randomness of that. And then his, the end of him was basically the citizens going on the offensive and going after him. So mm-hmm. he 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 felt uh, alone in the world, hunted by everyone, which was kind of cool. I wish it would have ended a little more violently for I him. Wish, but- I wish the uh, L.A. The LAPD Hollenbeck division was a little late getting there mm-hmm. and rescuing him. How funny uh, that, you know, even murderers uh, were saved by the police. And mm-hmm. it was interesting seeing his his head all wrapped up mm-hmm. as he was handcuffed because mm-hmm. they, they had kicked him around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, I, I, great pride from the citizens of the East L.A. community, especially. That was uh, that was cool to see. I thought that was one of L.A.'s finer moments uh, in seeing the people do that. So uh, he goes into trial and <laughs> the two guys representing him okay. i mean i don't ask, know who would want to clowns. oh my goodness <laughs> what, what was that i mean well, let, let's do the math he was arrested on august 31st 1985 and in november of 1989 i believe he was finally convicted and sentenced to death oh. so we're talking f- almost over four years yeah and and carrillo uh and uh I keep forgetting Salerno. Salerno, Carrillo and Salerno had a ton of evidence. It's not like mm-hmm. there wasn't evidence to show mm-hmm. this was him. This was him, you know. So, oh, that's unbelievable, man. Uh, just a, a really well done document for those who haven't seen it. Check it out. Four episodes. I know Bill loves those things. I do too. Well, the, and the, the the new way of doing these things now is it's called they're called docudramas. Okay. Where and then you, I thought the drone footage where you, where they would go up and take photos of of aerials, uh-huh. the drone footage was was outstanding. Yeah, yeah, really cool. I mean, yeah, really cool. Too. And then they they showed you know absolute uh, true pictures of the crime scenes mm-hmm. as best they could, and um, you know the witnesses then, the witnesses today. I mean, boy, thirty six years, you age a little bit. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. Especially, I mean, there was some of those, uh, you know, I mean, I guarantee you, um, you know, these young deputies, these young officers that were working those cases then, you know, um, you know, they're, they were probably, they're my age, 
probably then as, as they are now. <laughs> and my God, I, I'm, a, I'm afraid to look in a mirror and look at my picture from 85 <laughs> and look now. I thought Salerno had a little bit of Bill Barnes in him when, when I was seeing him sitting there. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a huge compliment yeah. <laughs> um, because, you know, Frank was, you know, I know he likes to have a, a Jack Daniels or two. One or two. And uh, he's a straight shooter and he can make a story. Um, he can tell a story into a, an absolute, um, you know, work of art. I, I did think like even the media looked at them as like Carrillo and Salerno as like superheroes. Like when they showed up, it was like, oh, Carrillo and Salerno are here. Yeah. Like, and, you know, early in the, I think episode one, when Carrillo said, you know, I was wanted to work homicide, you know, LA Sheriff's, when LA Sheriff's homicide would show up, everybody just got out of the way. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, back in the day, that's the way it was. When a homicide, when a homicide victim or homicide detective showed up, the old thing was step aside, homicide. <laughs> oh, wow. oh so man. That was, there was some absolute truth to that. Wow. Good stuff. Uh, I, I really like history and I like history when, um, as you start to get older, you look back on things when you were alive. Now this night stalker thing, I was six months old, uh, you know, and I can't imagine my mom and dad, all these murders, <laughs> they have a newborn at home and, and we've always been big lock your door uh, family. I, I don't understand how people don't lock their doors, but uh, man, just crazy to think about night, the summer of 1985. It was, it was crazy. I mean, it was crazy. I mean, I remember I did some hard living then. I was a young cop. Worked, <laughs> remember I had, I worked day shift. And I had Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays off. So we had to make our own fun during the week. And I'll tell you what, there's no better time to go to Disneyland, Magic Mountain, the beach, than on a weekday during the summer mm -hmm. because you don't have to deal with the crowds. So we'd have a good time. We had, I was a good time. I was single then, running absolutely amok. And um, there were nights, I'll tell you what, man, that I got very if little, if, if any sleep, you know. <laughs> Before I went to work the next day and, and uh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was a fun time and, you know, but we worked hard too and we did the best we could with what we had and went on and here we are in 2021. Here we are. Yes. 2020 was no fun. 2021 is, uh, has not been off to a great start. The only thing's the only thing that's changed is the number that that's all that's changed. You know, much like people thinking the year was going to magically get better with the year change. I think of the same people that thought, Things would change uh, extraordinarily when uh, Biden became president. And I got to tell you, Bill, I don't care who voted for who. I The media coverage of this, of this transition has been – people talk about Joe Biden like he's the second coming. And people – and they talk about Trump like he uh, is worse than Hitler. Okay. What you have to understand is is this is a state-run media now. I know. We're no I better know. than, than, than uh, North Korea or China or any of the other, uh, uh, you know, communist bloc nations, they are, they are basically in bed with the Democrats. Well, and they're not shy about it no. anymore. They, they are, I mean, every, every news outlet out there was like, oh, the Biden speech, it was finally uplifting from someone like, like Trump never gave a good speech before. Like, like you can hate the man fine, but, but there's just inconsistencies. We say it every week, but it's unbelievable. We're a week and a half into the Biden presidency and the media is just showing their true colors. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Well, get used to it. And you know what else is changing is certain blue states, certain blue cities. All of a sudden, now that Biden's in the president, now it's safe to open. I now mean, we can open what's up. What's incredible to me is I'm losing an average of two or three friends a week. 
to this to this thing. I just lost a friend uh, yesterday that if you guys fo- followed me on Facebook, um, I there was a girl that I went to high school with who made a mask for me back in April. Mm-hmm. She sent it to me free of charge. Her only request was when this pandemic was over, I'd buy her a couple drinks. Just an old friend from high school. She grew up right around the corner from where my grandfather lived. I've known her. I knew her for shit, you know, 50, 55 years. And she passed on Saturday and, um, she, and I feel completely shitty that I wasn't able to reciprocate those drinks to her. Uh, and I feel even worse that she passed that she didn't make it through this COVID. But you talk about a person who was absolutely kind, um, and, and caring about other people rather than herself. And that was Elvia Gomez, who we will uh, miss. And, um, she was just a sweet, good, hardworking. Um, she was a dance instructor in, in, uh, Palm Springs area. And, um, she lived in Riverside and just a great, great person. And she'll be missed. Um, I've got other two other coworkers, friends of mine that are on uh, ventilators as we speak. Wow. Um, I think uh, I lost a friend, a, a sergeant from LAPD a couple weeks ago. So this shit is real. You die from it. It's, there's no rhyme or reason how it affects you. I mean, I had it and it was just a bad hangover. Okay. It's, it's weird. And there's no, it's just, it's just a big, so I'm definitely afraid of getting it again because maybe I won't be as, as uh, lucky this time. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't want anybody to have to get this thing and go through a horrible death like that. Mm. No one with you, you know, your family can't come and see you. It's horrible. It's a bad, bad thing. With that said, yes, there's the, uh, we have the, 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 um, vaccine now, but our state, because our idiotic horseshit governor couldn't get his act together and distribute it well enough. We're 50th out of, out of 50 states in being effective in rolling out this vaccine and put it in people's arms. Something has got to be done. And what does he do? What does he do? And we're in the worst death rate ever in this pandemic. This dumb son of a bitch decides that, well, let's, let's lift the stay-at-home order. Well, no shit, Sherlock, because it hasn't worked. Nothing works unless you get a get a vaccine yeah. or there's herd immunity okay that's the only thing that works it's going to hit you it's going to hit you if it's not it's not if you feel like you're afraid of this thing don't leave your house mm-hmm. yeah i mean life is about risk is it not yeah it is everything Absolutely. you do i mean i go on the freeway four or five times a week and i'm risking my life with some of these dumb fuck drivers <laughs> but I somehow know. i come out unscathed but th- this is what angers me bill is is the it, it's obviously political it's obvious because exactly that's my point yeah it's it, what newsom has done in lifting the order now i've wanted the orders lifted a long time as have i but it's now being lifted as you said when it's a pretty rough time right now so why wasn't this done a long time ago exactly why now yeah. sir because biden is president and because that's you've why. got a you've got a massive recall ahead of you too yes and you want to try to stave that off. Well, guess what, pal? It ain't going to help you. No, he kept trying to ruin more jobs, ruin more, ruin the income of more people. And he thought, well, I'll just keep doing that. And maybe the recall will go it's away. It's almost like 
it's almost like, you know, I, I wasn't alive in World War II. I vaguely remember the Vietnam era, but I remember, you know, or I was told, I, my parents, grandparents told me that, you know, every couple of days they'd look, read the paper and a friend of theirs died overseas or died in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Friends they went to high school with, et cetera, et cetera. And it's kind of like that now. I would, I kind of equate that because you wake, you wake up in the morning, you look, you look on the internet or you look on Facebook and you see, holy shit, so-and-so died of COVID. Well, now I know it, it, it's, it's almost kind of like a, a war-like loss that we're, we're, you know, mm -hmm. we're, we're experiencing. You're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Back in the, in, in Vietnam or World War II, you caught a bullet or you stepped on a landmine or something. Whereas now you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. You're in a grocery store and someone breathes on you. Yeah. Yes. It could be anything. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the interesting thing is people have gotten this by being very careful and then people who've been completely careless, they haven't got, I mean, there, you, you said it right there. There's no rhyme or reason to a lot of this. We, and there's no rhyme or reason how it's going to affect you. No. Some people can, I mean, I'm not the healthiest specimen in the world, but I'm not unhealthy either. And I survived it pretty much unscathed. However, there's people that my own age, probably in better shape than me, and they're on fucking ventilators. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. and, and that's really the biggest concern with it all is that you can't predict anything. But because of that, I just think you can't continue, as you mentioned, to uh, – not live our lives we have to, to to do that at some point we can't fear death so much that we don't live at all you know right 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 and i see you know there's i see people on facebook and stuff and they're going to these underground uh country dance parties and they're living the life and smiling and these people they're not getting they're not getting sick it's crazy yeah it's crazy but you know somebody will go to the post office once a week and they come back and they're sick <laughs> you know, oh I, I don't get it no, it's uh, it's pretty wild, and we've been doing this almost a year now. It's hard. But one thing is for certain: recall Gavin Newsom. Go to recall Gavin Newsom uh, uh, on on the internet and sign the petition and get this son of a bitch out of office. Well, Bill, let's end this episode with a more positive talk than kind of what we've been discussing. Uh, did you get a chance to watch the AFC and NFC championship games on I Sunday? Certainly did. Yeah. What were your thoughts on those, man? Well, you know, Brady, um, I've seen him better. I've seen Rodgers a lot better. <laughs> uh, I think the uh, Tampa Bay defense won that game for him. They stood, they, they uh, rose up. Um, I think that the offensive line for Green Bay was a little shaky. They mm -hmm. didn't protect Rodgers as well as they could have. Um, Tampa Bay, um, Kansas City was was strong, tough at home. Um, they got to uh, Josh Allen, yeah, pretty pretty Bills, well, yeah. Um, and their and you know, um, and their quarterback was was good, you know, which th that's he runs the team. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> um, I think the Super Bowl is going to come down to who plays a better defense. Yeah, and I think on as of now. Probably Tampa Bay has a better defense, um, but are they going to be able to protect Brady from that I, defensive line? That's hard to say. Because you know say. Brady's not a rollout guy. He's not the <laughs> runner that 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 uh, Mr. Allen is. He looked okay. Yes, uh, you know, yesterday, though Sunday. I mean, mm -hmm. 
yeah, he had three picks, but they were kind of like a couple of them were deflections. Yeah, and yeah. like a punt almost. Yeah, uh, he looked pretty good in the first half. I will say that the end of the first half, that bomb he threw, that defensive back looked like he was playing for the the New York Jets when when they gave up that pass yeah. late. I mean, yeah. how do you let a guy behind you like that? I don't know. I, I don't understand. It. It's unbelievable. So then that happens. Yeah, I think um, what's What's I think what's going to help Tampa a little bit, believe it or not, is that they're going to be on their home field. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they're not going to have to they're not going to have to get on buses and go on planes and yeah. and and go through all that hype shit that a normal Super Bowl does, where they're, they're just going to be like a, another game for them. Yeah, usually move the facility for right. for a week, mm-hmm. you know, into yeah. the Super Bowl city. So right. first time in NFL history. Um, I think it's been close before. The Rams. Well, the played, Rams played in Pasadena, the Rose Bowl, right? Yeah. But not their home field. Not not the call. Not the mausoleum <laughs> or Angel Stadium. Then maybe. Um. Yeah. It's it's just crazy, and of course, it's of all the times that it happens, it's Tom Brady. Sure. But, but you know what? They won three road games, so mm-hmm. hey, they deserve to be in. Yeah, they've, they've played well. I mean, they beat a good, good New Orleans team. They played a really good. They beat a good Green Bay team. So you know, more power to them. Um, if, uh, you know, if they win, Hey, seventh super seven bill, this will be Tom Brady's 10th super bowl. Mm-hmm. He's been in 10 of the 54 super bowls. I think John Elway went to five. Okay. So that's one approximately one fifth, 20% of super bowls. Yeah. Roughly. I, I <laughs> Tom Brady has been in, that is unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I'm at a loss for words. I mean, he's doing this stuff at 43. He, <laughs> how is, how is someone in his forties able I mean, to play at that level? Because today's forties is, you know, you know, 43 is the new 25 yeah. today. Yeah, you're Whereas right. back in the day when George Blanda was playing at 43, 47, <laughs> he looked 47. Yeah, exactly. He looked it. All right. Um, it's a whole different animal. Now they take better care of themselves. They work out. When you're living with a, when you're married to a supermodel, that helps. That'll keep you young. Absolutely. So, what, what do you think? What did you think of the decision by the Packers on fourth and goal from the eight, down by eight points with two minutes and ten seconds left, give or take, to kick the field goal? Three points does nothing for you. Uh no. You've got to score another touchdown. Mm-hmm. So get the touchdown now. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. You you were. I would have gone for it. You would have gone for Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I understand if it's fourth and less than five, but fourth and eight, they hadn't gained a yard in three plays. Well, they were due. They were. <laughs> there you go. They were due. I guess so. I, I I added it up. I was like, okay, this makes sense. They got the two minute warning plus three timeouts, and people are like, you're giving the ball back to Brady, but he was more than likely not going to have to throw the ball. He was going to be running the ball, and and they didn't. It didn't work out. The so the thing is, if if you were down six, kick the field goal. You're down eight. I mean, you got to score twice. Yeah, you need a touchdown. You anyway. need a touchdown. You want two shots at it? Yeah. Okay. No, yeah. I I knew when it happened. I said, they're going to kick it. Uh, you got to kick it here. And uh, I knew the guy. Here, Here's what I feel about some coaching decisions like that, that no matter what he does and it doesn't work out, people are going to be – are going to be mad at him for. I mean, it's not like you're going out and you're 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 pulling your your best pitcher in the fifth inning, <laughs> yeah, in the I World know. Series. <laughs> oh boy! Well, Aaron Rodgers was clearly disappointed, I mean, and uh, I mean, you can't say that that uh, that uh, Brian Cash or whatever his name is, Brian Cashman. No, the Cash, the the manager of the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneer, Tampa Bay, uh, <laughs> Bay uh, Tampa Bay 
Rays. What was his oh, name? Kevin right. Cash. Kevin Cash. That's Ke- right. Kev- yeah, I wasn't a Kevin Cash move. That's right. That, yeah. Same city, different uh, situation. Yeah. Uh, crazy. And get well, this. Get this. Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay. Um, Rays. Rays went to the went to the um, World Series. Uh, World Series. The Tampa Bay uh, Lightning. Lightning won it. Won the Stanley Cup. And now the Tampa Bay Bucks are in the Super Bowl. At their ho- I mean, this is what I mean, is this is Tampa Bay, people. Tampa Bay. This is not a, a real, real <laughs> high market city. No. Oh, how so, we, I mean, 2020, 2021, that, that definitely geez. says everything. Yeah. I mean, that's back to the future. You said that uh, 20 years ago, <laughs> people would laugh at you. What? I mean, if they only had a basketball team, they might be in that too. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Crazy stuff. Tampa Bay Buccaneers hosting. The, their Super Bowl, and they will be the home team, I believe, as the NFC gives a home team this year. Okay, well, so, there you go. Everything, everything, everything's just right there. You know, they're laying it out, laying everything right out what? for Brady. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What, what do you think of Bruce Arians? Do you, I mean, I think he's a lunatic. Yeah. I think he's just a, I think he, he, he's, he's one breath away from a stroke or a heart attack. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> you know, about right. he, he's, he's about ready to, if you, if you, if you uh, finger prodded him just right, he would burst. <laughs> You know, he, he's the, he's not a picture of health by any stretch of the imagination. No. And I think he's younger than I am. Probably, yeah. I think Bruce Arians is younger than I am, and he looks like shit. <laughs> you should be him for Halloween sometime. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look him up because Bruce Arians' age here, and if he's, I mean, <laughs> I mean, good God, man, he, he's. I mean, you got Andy Reid, who you know he's he's old though. He he's pretty pretty old. Okay, I stand corrected. Thank God, he's sixty eight years old. Okay, okay, he's okay, sixty eight. All right, I, I don't. I feel much better about myself right now. <laughs> you got a few more years till you look like Good that, Lord Bruce. Oh, I guess Andy. Who who would you have thought was was older, Andy Reid or Bruce Arians? Arians. You did think he was yeah, older? Okay, yeah. Andy Reid's sixty two. Which yeah. is, I knew he was around my age because. Um, they always show that that, that pass, pass, pass and kick thing. Andrew Reed, Andrew Reed, like, yeah. yeah. he's like three hundred pounds yeah. as a twelve year old. He's a twelve year old, and he's you know he looks like you know Hayseed Calhoun <laughs> wearing the, the 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 toy uniform. Yeah, that's right. Oh my goodness. Okay, so the AFC, Patrick Mahomes, he's unbelievable. The Bills jumped out to a nine nothing lead. I, I felt like as soon as they missed that extra point, that everything just went the other mm-hmm, way on mm-hmm. them. Uh, the, the Chiefs are so dang explosive uh, if they they score at the drop of a hat i mean they throw that little flat pass to dyson tyson what's his name uh number 10 tyreek hill okay i knew it was close and <laughs> he would and he's unstoppable man he's so fast oh my goodness yeah. and then travis kelsey that tight end they he had 13 catches on sunday i mean mm-hmm. they get him the ball in all mm-hmm. kinds of different ways yeah. the, the the tampa bay's defense which is pretty good mm-hmm um, will I, if if both defenses play about the same, I think Kansas City will win because their offense, despite Brady, is a little better. We could see some points, don't you think? Maybe a shootout. We could, or we could see a real, you know, a, a defensive. I don't know. Who knows? That's why they play. Yeah, and that's why they play the game. Two weeks to wait for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you had to say right now, we'll, we'll probably double check with you next week before the game, mm-hmm. but uh, your initial thoughts on who wins that game. Kansas City. And what do you think points-wise? Four, five, four. That's probably fair. Let's see. That's probably uh, what the line is at. It is Kansas City by three. So, yeah. That's, uh, they, cover. Think, they cover. Most people, most people yeah. think that. So, 
Very interesting. Well, yeah, two weeks, and uh, we'll talk more about that uh, next week as we'll go a little more in depth and everything. But Bill, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me over. We got to find a new uh, documentary or Netflix thing to talk about uh, soon. That was fun. Well, as soon as one comes out, I'll uh, make sure we we get on the same page and hash it out. Yeah. And to the listeners out there, if you have anything that you think Bill and I would like to watch, maybe that we haven't seen or hadn't heard about uh, something either historical or fiction, whatever, um, let us know and we'll try to do our best to uh, watch it and talk about it sometime. What do you think, Bill? I'm all for it. Cool. Well, Bill, we will talk to you next week. Thank you again for letting me into your mm-hmm. lovely home here. Yes. Everybody, uh, all, all the listeners, please stay healthy and um, and keep uh, keep safe. And let's talk again next week. All righty. Sounds good. The one and only Bill Barnes here with us every single Wednesday for his weekly appearance on the weekly Wednesday weigh-in. We wouldn't have it any other way. We love having Bill here to talk about anything, really. We try to cover a lot of ground, chat about some sports, some current events. uh, And in today's case, a lot of uh, detective uh, work, a lot of talk about uh, his police background. I thought that was a lot of fun, especially as we discussed the uh, Netflix uh, docudrama about the Night Stalker. I thought it was a, a great show, kind of a different direction than we normally go. And uh, Bill, we always have fun. I know that. And I'm looking forward already to chatting with you next week. Guys, Bill loves hearing from you guys. So be sure to send him some questions or maybe some suggestions. You want some advice from the one and only Bill Barnes about anything. Uh, he loves uh, getting feedback and just kind of the interaction with his listeners. So uh, Bill and I record a few days before our Wednesday uh, episodes usually. So if you have questions for Bill, try to get those in by the end of the weekend at some point. By the by, Sunday night is probably a safe bet because sometimes we do record Monday mornings if we can uh, or Tuesdays. You know, wh- Whenever we can, we want to get those episodes out in a timely manner. So if you have uh, questions, comments, anything for Bill Barnes, be sure to send those in by the end of the weekend. Well, guys, I want to tell you about our guest on Friday. I've really enjoyed this format it's been kind of a a nice way to kind of build up for the main event of the uh, of the week right with the big uh, premier guest that we have uh this friday we are going to be joined by chris horton chris horton is the president of care youth league he's also the senior pastor for the care youth church uh he's done a lot of work with uh, the college uh, youth group there kind of running the rhla uh, program which is the Rio hondo leadership academy and he's also got a lot of experience working in the high school at Rio Hondo Prep. He was once the high school director and also coached a few teams, coached me back in my high school days when I was a baseball player. Uh, he was a teacher of mine. He still teaches some literature classes. Uh, he's been involved in Care Youth League and Rio Hondo Prep for a very long time. You don't want to miss this episode on Friday. You could talk about anything with Mr. Horton. He's a lot of fun great energy. Uh, his brother, Phil Horton, was on the program uh, a couple months ago, and uh, that was a fun conversation too. But uh, Mr. Horton, uh, I've already recorded it, and I can tell you guys it was uh, a lot of fun, uh, some great conversations, breaking down kind of uh, just a lot of different things in, uh, around Care Youth League, Rio Hondo Prep. Uh, you guys will really enjoy this. I promise you that. So be sure to join us on Friday for our main event of the week and a conversation with Chris Horton. Should be a lot of fun. Guys, there's plenty of ways to follow the Get Home Safe podcast. Our Twitter handle is Get Home Safe Pod. Our 
Facebook and Instagram page is Get Home Safe Podcast. And our email address is Get Home Safe Podcast at Yahoo.com. We'd love to hear from you. Bill Barnes would love to hear from you. So get those messages in. You know how I say it every episode, but uh, hey. Get those, get those, uh, get those uh, messages into us. We want to hear from you. Uh, a few changes to the podcast. I said it earlier. I'm going to say it again. Uh, we are going to move Suds with Studs for the time being to our Monday episodes. I think with our long form interviews with our Friday guests, it's probably a better fit. And I know a lot of you tune into uh, the Friday podcast to hear the, you know, the main event, to hear the, the guests, not me. And, and I think Suds with Studs will fit in a little bit better with our sports uh, episode on Monday. Because typically, if I'm not joined by my brother Sam, who I enjoy breaking down games with and just talking about life with, uh, it's just me talking. So I think it's a great way to talk about sports topics, but also maybe start off the podcast or kind of in the middle there to do our Suds with Studs segment. So that's the plan for now. Uh, we probably won't have Suds with Studs this Friday. We'll start fresh on Monday and kind of try that out for a little while to see if that's a better fit because I know for listeners out there, you know, anything over an hour and a half on an episode, it's, it kind of gets a little time consuming, right? And I don't want to take away any time from our weekly uh, or from our guests on Fridays. So sometimes I chat with our guests a long time, an hour 15, even an hour 30. And, uh, you know, I want to try to keep it as close to that time frame as possible. And uh, those those Monday shows, they got a little extra time uh, available. So we're going to put suds with studs there. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for joining me today and for listening to the one and only Bill Barnes on the weekly Wednesday weigh-in. He will be back next week. Again, if you, if you, if you have anything you want to say to Bill, good, negative, or indifferent, uh, send it on in and please guys join us on friday if you can't hear the episode on friday be sure to get to it over the weekend or sometime next week because uh the conversation with chris horton was uh, was fun and uh, very informative so those of you who know chris horton out there who have either played for him or or were uh, a, t- a student of him in his classroom or were, were in real hondo prep at some point uh you guys will really enjoy this and i uh, can't say it enough be sure to join us on friday guys that's enough out of me Have a good rest of your week. And guys, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe.